I don't know if you noticed, but as Brother Mike was teaching this morning and he's talking about the countenance of the Lord, he stepped back and the light shined on his head. <laughs> don't be expecting those kind of dynamics with me this morning. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Romans, and actually I'm probably going to set this down a little bit. I'm getting a reflection off the bumper of a car over there. All right, so um, I want to do a little review first of all. Um, it's actually going to be a lot of review, um, but it's just something I felt compelled to do uh, as I was preparing for this week. And uh, so I'm just going to go through kind of some of the chapters in Romans, just how I felt, you know, it's not going to be exhaustive, but just a line of thought that I felt God gave me uh, concerning uh, this book. And that chapter 1 uh, was given as a letter to the church at Rome, specifically in general, a Gentile church. Uh, in Romans 1.13, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come to you, but was led hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. And there's just some key words. Something I realize is, is Paul, through his teaching, is, is helping us with these classifications of, of people, and, 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 and there's some importance in that. Paul then gives a little further definition of Gentiles in Romans 1.14. He says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks, and he says, and to the barbarians. Now, you know, we think of barbarians. We've, we, we've got these thoughts in our mind, but, and he says, both to the wise and to the unwise. So much as me, as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Now, there's Romans, Greeks mentioned, and then to cover the rest, barbarians, foreigners, Everybody else. The Gentile nations are all the nations besides the nation of Israel, also known as the Jews. Now Paul proceeds and to be sure that the gospel, to let us know that the gospel has been given to both Gentiles and Jews. Okay? It's been equally given to them. He uses the word everyone in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Then Paul adds a distinction between the Jew and the Gentile concerning the receiving of the gospel. Though equally given, there is an order of release of the gospel with precedence given to the Jews. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Then it says, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You know, there's a tendency to view the church today as, and for the most part, it is Gentile, <laughs> populated. And that is true, and Paul prophesies of that in Romans 11.25, For I would not... For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. We are witnesses, witnesses of that today, but we should not forget that the gospel was to the Jew first. 
You may not have thought of some of these things. I want to go through some of this. In the beginning of the church was saved Jews. Okay? Acts 2.1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now in Acts 2.37 it says, And when they heard this, when they heard this preaching, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then they that gladly received his word, in verse 41, were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Looking a little farther into the time of the early church, we see the dominance of the Jewish church before the church will become dominated by Gentile representation. The fullness of the Gentiles will be coming in. Remember when Peter fell into a trance? He saw a great sheet knit as at four corners and let down to the earth with all manners of four-footed beasts on the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air, things that were unclean in the law, into the Jewish law that God told him, though, to eat. Peter refused this. It was repeated to Peter, of all things, three times. <laughs> You know, I wonder if that's where we get the statement that is said to naughty children, I'm going to count to three. <laughs> Although we fail at the end of that thing and executing what we say we're going to do. But uh, anyway, God was clearly telling him that the gospel was for the Gentiles also. This is a hard thing for them. To, this is a hump they had to get over. And he was preparing him, to, and he was leading him to Cornelius to give him the gospel that he and other Gentiles there would be saved. Now listen to the amazement of the Jewish believers when this happens. In Acts 10.44, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they had heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? You know, this is a tough thing for Peter. Peter was hard on what things were. And God had to uh, go over this with him. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Now continuing to Acts 11. It says, and the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, the Jews, contended with him. <laughs> this is a, a tough thing. Come on, this, the Jews were first. Saying, thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them. The gospel spread first in Jerusalem, a Jewish city, then to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Acts 11, we, receive the, we see the result of the order of the gospel. That the Jews were given the gospel first, 
but the majority would reject it? Paul knew this. Paul knew the Old Testament. We're going to talk about remnant. He knew most of his brethren weren't going to be saved. You can see this reading through his, his gospel. The majority would reject the branch of the olive tree, which is, which is by nature is broken off, and a new branch, a wild by nature, the Gentile believer is going to be grafted in to this. And Acts 13.42 says, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city to come to hear the Word of God. But when the Jew saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles that thou shouldest be that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Paul repeats this phrase, the Jew first and also to the Gentiles, two, two more times in chapter 2 of Romans. The grouping of Jew and Gentile are distinctions of spiritual nationality. Okay, The nation of Israel, Jews, and all other nations grouped together as Gentile nations. He also groups both Jew and Gentile under one heading. Everyone, as he calls them, everyone, or what we might call mankind. There's mankind, and then they're broken up into these two groups. Paul continues to make the group distinction and definitions in chapter 1. He identifies two groups of people that all mankind falls into. The righteous and the unrighteous. How we meet... There's two groups of people today. Saved and unsaved. Paul states it this way in Romans 1.17 For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul shows that salvation or be counted as righteous as was commonly referenced in the Old Testament was always only by one way from the beginning to the end faith. That those who by faith followed what God revealed and commanded them to do were the saved. Everyone else is unsaved. It is not by nationality it is not by religious name. It is not by works. It is by faith. The rest of the verses of chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and I'll get through the chapters, other chapters a lot quicker, so just hang on. It gives a description of the end of the unsaved. It starts with a willful rejection of God. 
Romans 1.19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Through the rest of this chapter, it leads to, we see the end of it. It leads to idol worship. Perhaps pagan, perhaps American idols of talented people, singers, movie stars, Bengals, Joe Burrow, Reds, Yankees. I got you too. <laughs> Throw it all in a pot there. Perhaps it's the things that get worshipped, our possessions. I just got to have this or that. Perhaps it is worshipping the creation over the Creator. I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to do this. I want to do that or experience this or accomplish that. Or perhaps it is your time. Me time. My time. But the idol that leads to all other idols is the idol of self. Romans chapter 1 moves from the focus of godlessness reaching into the most despicable areas of bodily sin and fornication and sodomy then leading to a seared, foolish mindset where evil is good and good is evil, all which end at a rejection of a loving God, willfully accepting the finality of eternal... And, 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 and Brother Mike was talking about how, how do people do this? Accepting the finality of eternal judgment in hell, even laughing in the face of it. Romans 1.32, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. God had something to say about these people, though the faces haven't changed. The, or the faces may have changed, but the deeds have not, and neither has God's judgment upon them. Way back in Proverbs chapter 1, it says, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof, I also will laugh. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. There's coming that day. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon, cometh upon you, then they shall call upon me. That's what we're just talking about this morning. But I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and this is what Romans 1 is ending with, and be filled with their own devices. It's been the same all through history. This section of the book of Romans is just like chapter 4 of Genesis. This is what came to my mind. Cain willfully rejecting God, killing his brother, and a brief ugly picture of his lineage which ends in a godless world, judged by a flood, and mankind saved by a mere remnant. It is a repetitive theme through the Word of God. 
I want to give you something, I, a picture that I want you to have in your mind. I looked up not too long ago of how many people die every day. Now we kind of slow this thing down in our minds. We have a loved one, and, and I think there's truth to this. That Jesus comes in and there's this time and they, they, you meet the Lord. But when you look at the numbers, humanly speaking, let's just say 10% go to heaven. Might be a big number. That's like what's happening 24 hours a day is every five seconds. You know, in our minds, how did God process that? You know, boom, boom, and then someone's got to come a little quicker. You know, somehow God is special for everyone there. But let me give you something a little more alarming to think about. Here's the rate that are dropping into hell 24 hours. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Bop, 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 bop. That's the rate. Two a second. Bop, 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 bop. Piling in hell. Bop, 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 bop. Probably never thought about it that way, have you? Maybe a picture you need to think about as we get to the end of the message. You know... Paul identifies a remnant of Israel. In Romans 11.5, he speaks of the remnant of the saved Jews in the church age. He talks about a remnant of the saved Jews through the tribulation in Romans 9.27, which is a reference to the prophecy of Isaiah 10.21. We Gentiles need to also remember only a remnant of Gentiles is going to be saved. And I believe in the Lord's address to the church, which Brother Michael get into, I see, you know, there's... And he'll probably get into to, to some of this that, you know, I believe that there is a representation of these churches as well, like a big picture of there's the Church of Philadelphia, which I think is representative of a remnant <laughs> that's going to make it through. And then the lost church of the Church of Laodicea represented the apostate church that. You know, and, and I'm just looking at churches. I'm, I'm scratching my head what's going on. So we have these groups in chapter 1, and Paul talks about the unbelieving group and briefly moves into chapter 2. And that's just like, you know, he'll talk. He, he gives a little room for people, give a genie, and then he moves on. He's done with that, and now he's talking about the saved. He clarifies there's no respecter of persons with God in chapter 2. He clarifies the equality of saved Jews and Gentiles, that they are all equally the church. He concludes with the aspect that spiritually speaking Jews, God's people, are not those of the physical aspect. By physical birth or the badge of circumcision, but rather that it is of the inward, the circumcision of the heart. You know, in a sense, all saved are, spiritually speaking, the Jews, God's people. Though there is a difference in nationality. Chapter 3 answers the question of what advantage is there of being a Jew then? It's simply because of the Word of God. The oracles of God, as he says, were committed to the Jews for faithful keeping. I look at my Bible, and you ought to look at your Bible, and we ought to be grateful to that Jewish nation for the cost of bearing God's word through the ages. He brings up the question of the law. He clearly states that all are under sin. 
There is none righteous, no, not one, in chapter 3, that the law makes everyone equally guilty before God. This is the place where man's mouth is stopped. Romans 3.19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Speechless before God with only one way out to believe on Jesus Christ. That no flesh is justified in His sight. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It helps us to remember that so we remember those when we see people who are unsaved, we were just like them. Romans 4 stops the claim of salvation by being Abraham's seed. Remember the Jews' proud claim? Well, we're the seed of Abraham. But Abraham was before Jacob. And before circumcision, that justification was based on faith. He believed God and that was counted to him for righteousness. That whether Jew or Gentile, circumcised or not, that salvation is by faith. It always has been. And always will. Now chapter 5 is a display of the magnificence of salvation. You, you want to just glory in what salvation is? Go to chapter 5. Chapter 6 is a logical conclusion that sin is an enemy of the soul. That salvation does not license sin. But rather the license that frees us from sin. And takes us away from it. Chapter 7 deals with the continual presence of sin in our mortal body, that there remains a war between the flesh and the new witness of the Spirit, that it is a lifelong fight to be won through the Spirit of God that lives and abides in us. Chapter 8 is a great high mark of Christianity. That it is judged, maintained, and here is the high mark, and kept by God. That is, a, that is a great thing. <laughs> it's not by us. In judgment, not condemned. Maintain that all things are working together for good. Kept. Impossible. Impossible to be separated from Him. We could say that Romans 1, 1 through 3... In verse 20, we see God the Father in creation. In Romans 3, 21, to chapter 7 through 25, we see God the Son in salvation. In Romans 8, 1 through 39, we see God the Spirit in sanctification. Romans chapter 9 through 11, we see the sovereignty of God in mankind, both of the Jew and the Gentile. It's about the sovereignty of God. We got to a high mark there in 8. Now we get to a high mark that's way higher than we can even understand and believe. We see what He has done, what He is doing presently, and what He will do in the future. God knows what He is doing. And it's beyond our understanding. What fools we are trying to explain God. He sees and He... He is something way beyond us. 
it concludes in that chapter in Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor? Or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? For of Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To whom be the glory forever. Amen. Now the rest of the book is the answer to the first 11 chapters. Probably the biggest word to start out, Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The rest of chapter 12 is a shotgun blast. I look at it of Christian behavior and duty. I was just blow, I was blown away with... I mean, you can preach out of a single verse. and It's packed and it's dense. But for chapter 13, lays out a very nice three-point outline, and I'm going to entitle the message, and I'll try to keep it reasonably short here, but I, don't, I want to make sure that we get what God has for us. The title is Romans 13 to a T. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. May it do a work in our life, Lord God. May the Holy Spirit reach down into our souls this morning. And uh, may we come out having done business with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So what are the three points of the message? What does it have to do with a T? Authority, charity, and tenacity. Authority, charity, tenacity. Romans 13.1. I want everybody to stand up. I'm going to give you a break from your chairs. We're going to read a few portions and I'll have you sit down. So you'll go, th- each sit down period will be one part of the message. I'll help you remember it, maybe. Romans 13.1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil." Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And you may be seated. This is talking particularly about government. It has been said that the only worst thing about a bad government is no government at all. We get bent out of shape about our government at times, our president, our politicians, but God is very clear. God has ordained government for the good of people. We are to pray for those rulers. And that just doesn't mean uh, just a bland prayer. I'll pray for him. It's sincerity of prayer for our rulers God didn't make government to rule the world for him okay (laughs) 
but he made it an asset for us in a wicked world. Now, pay attention to who is writing this. Paul, one of the among the most unjustly abused by government because of living for God. And he's telling us this. Paul warns that to resist the government is to resist God's ordinance. And that resistance is a path to damnation. Now, that's not talking about the damnation in hell he is, he is speaking about. It's referring to the negative consequences of going to court, being justly convicted, justly sentenced. You know, there are a group of people, sometimes Christian people, who think they are above the law or doing God's service by revolting against the government. It's not her spot. Can't explain it. It seems wrong. A lot of things seem wrong. There are other sometimes Christians who go the complete other side, won't vote, won't speak up, or stay completely away from government. We should speak up. We should vote. But we should also have peace with whatever the outcome is. Because God is in control and He knows what He's doing. He's sovereign. He's got it. We, we use that. He's got that, you know. I got that. God's got it. God really does have it. Our main responsibility is getting out the Word of God. There's our impact. That's what we need to be focused on. There are people dying going to hell at an alarming rate. I just gave you a, a thought of that. The battle of abortion is not won in the courts. It's won in the heart of mankind through the life-changing Word of God. There's what we need to be. There's where we need to be. We get that, laws change. When things don't go in a good way in government, it is an urgent call for us to get the gospel out more. Paul says something else. That not only should we obey government because of wrath or bad circumstances it will lead us into, but for, he says, for conscience sake. We forget the value of a clear conscience. Doing something unlawful, cheating on your taxes, any sin for that matter, is a great cost to your conscience and it leads to a degradating degradation of life. Constantly looking over your shoulder, the continual concern of getting caught is deliberate a debilitating, but a clear conscience is liberating, free, and gives life. If you pay attention to your Christian life, you'll know what I'm talking about, and you'll want to be there. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't even know what it is. I'll just be bothered by something. I can't even like touch it. It may not be anything of sin, but just something impending on me that just doesn't feel right just is debilitating. For a clear conscience... There's not only specifics of governmental authority, but we can apply general application of authority. The highest authority being God. It trumps all other authority, but what about other God-ordained authorities in your life? Authority is for your good, besides governmental authorities. And Paul will speak about these in other places. God gave us parents. He gave us pastors. He gave us bosses. God love them. For you, if you own your own business... Yourself, you have the most bosses. Every customer you have, you are servant to. And just try not serving them and see where your business goes. 
Paul is telling us that it's for our own good to be under the protection of authority in our life and not to cheat them, to give loyalty to, to pay out of our own pockets even, the cost associated with having authorities. Ask, if you, do, if you don't believe what I'm saying, maybe you can ask Samson about the cost of getting out from under his parents' guidance. Maybe you can ask Ananias and Sapphira about getting out of the authority of the church. Or ask Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, who bypassed Elisha's authority. And it says in 2 Kings 5.27, The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee, and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. David will tell you of his failures to stay under authority and the cost of it, but on the other hand, the greatness of King David is evidenced by a great submission to authority. The greatest display of that, of being under the wickedness of King Saul and his commitment to not touch God's anointed. Authority and the proper, being the proper place of it is important. Paul moves from authority to charity in the chapter. I'll have you stand up. Let's read verses 8 through 10 together. We're moving from authority to charity. Verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You may be seated. Paul appeals to our heart. In the previous chapter, he states, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. What is dissimulation? First, let's look at the word love used here. It is the word agape. Love. It is the pure love of God. It is unconditional. It is not a pretending love like the love of man that is flawed. Dissimulation is the flaws of man's love, limited love. We are to put on unlimited, unconditional love. God's love. Paul said this love in reference to our neighbor. The horizontal interaction we have with mankind. He quotes the last half of the Ten Commandments. That the fulfilling of the law to others is through unfeigned love. That's another word for love without dissimulation. Paul states in 2 Corinthians 6.6, 6, By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. Love unfeigned is love without dissimulation. It is the amazing love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts, by the way, folks. We have it when we have Christ. Romans 5, 5, And hope and make it not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We have been given this love and we have access to it. We just obey it. We just trust it. As I laid down my head last night thinking on this subject of love, the words that kept ringing in my head 
was no ill to his neighbor. It was no ill. When we get wronged, or a service is not what we thought it should be, how many times are we ready to charge up there, give them a pound of our flesh, and for like silly, stupid things? I just cringe when I, you know, and I'm sure I do it as well, but you'll hear somebody. (laughs) They didn't. They didn't fill my cup up enough in, in my soda. I'm going back in there and give them no what for. Work with no ill to your neighbor. In conclusion to the chapter, Paul moves from the subject of authority to the principle of authority and calls us in the principle of charity and calls us into a work of tenacity. I'm going to have you stand. We're going to read the last part of Romans, beginning in Romans 13, beginning in verse 11. And and that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You may be seated. In this last part here, Paul says to wake up. Get busy. Judgment is coming. He says our salvation is one day closer. We are to be preparing. We have one less day every day. (laughs) It's coming. It's closer. It's pending. When there is work to be done, when we anticipate something good the next day, like a new project starting, or perhaps leaving on a vacation, or perhaps an appointment or meeting with someone, or going on a hunt, (laughs) which is the latest thing, we do, we set an alarm. An alarm ahead of time to prepare ourselves to get cleaned up, awake, ready, prepared to charge that day, to be motivated, to be excited, to have a plan and a purpose. But many today forget to set the alarm. They press the snooze, roll out of bed, go out with uncombed hair unbrushed teeth and possibly wearing pajamas these days and go into the dentist office for an appointment. Now I can't verify this, but I was told by someone uh, who knew a dentist that one, that one of the professions with an unusually high rate of suicide is that of a dentist. I wonder why. <laughs> Paul says, cast off the works of darkness. Take your sleeping clothes off. Put on the armor of light. Put on appropriate clothing. That clothing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness. Not in chambering and wantonness. Not in strife and in envying. What that simply means is, you're going out to serve. 
That's your job. Not to be served. This is what Christ did. This is what we are supposed to do. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says something very, very important here. To not make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. What is it that opens the door for you to be drawn away in lust? James 1.13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I don't know what those things are that causes you to be drawn into lust. Something as simple as cookies and candy and donuts in the house. Perhaps it's credit cards and internet shopping. Perhaps it's your computer or your phone. Perhaps it's that little place where you can pick up alcohol. Perhaps it's the ungodly music on the radio or the constant barrage of bad news that we get hounded to and listened to and let into our lives. God, through Paul, says, get some tenacity, folks. Wake up, gear up, and close up the doors to lust. Romans 13, to a T, authority, charity, tenacity. I'll say one thing, I, I love a lot of things about my wife. But I love her tenacity. <laughs> she's tenacious. Now, she's not perfect. And just like all of us, you get down and sometimes you just want to quit when everybody's on you. But she's the first one to get up and get back in the fight just fight because there's there's a cause and she just goes and goes no matter if she hurts and different things it's just her nature that's a quality i hope she can pass that on to you with the pianist coming and heads bowed and eyes closed pray that the holy spirit of god has spoken to you today whatever your need is <laughs> You have authority issues, charity issues, working no ill to your neighbor. Whether it's the tenacity to get up and to serve God, no matter what, every day, fall down, get back up. Um, every day, now, keep going. Turn off the stuff that's in the way that's going to draw you into your lusts. That's going to bother your conscience and make you not what you should be. A miserable feeling. Not a way to live for God. Deal with God today. What has He put your finger on? And then deal with it. Amen. Thanks for your attention. You know, in a very simplified way, like...
as you get older, you, you have to work even. Some of you all know, you have to work on your weight. And it's a lot harder. It's not like you run it off anymore. Except for Brother Mike, man, he works like crazy. And he burns calories. <laughs> Some have that gift. <laughs> Most of us don't. But something, one thing I try to, I'm thinking about, is how good I feel when I forego that big meal or something and, and covet that feeling more than that temporal pleasure. You know? Think about that in your conscience. If you'll be honest with yourself, when that conscience ain't right, you're like a miserable, fat, bloated Christian. You feel lousy. It's hurtful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessed word, Lord. Pray you work in our lives and our hearts and pray for each family. Pray for each one here, Lord God. I pray, first of all, that all would be saved and then that we would all draw close to you, that we'd fight this battle in this life against sin and the flesh. And Lord God, that we would uh, love one another and uh, that we'd feel that friendship, not that judgment, but uh, that we'd work for one another. We love one another. Help us to understand and operate in your love and to be under authority and covet the protection that is there. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.